Hello there. And with me today, I'm so happy um, to say that Martha Duke is on the line and she's the founder of Recover Out Loud, LLC. Hi, Martha. Hi. Thanks so much for coming on There's the podcast. Most people, most people know my morning greeting. It's like, good morning. <laughs> so, it's nighttime now, but maybe people will listen to this. In the yeah. <laughs> Well, I love doing my lives in the morning on my page. It, it, it keeps me really involved with my followers. So. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Because it seems like people on, I know you from Instagram, and it seems like you have a really engaged following of people that really like look forward to your lives and want to hear more from you. Yeah, that was really, um, so like, kind of like my page. And I do realize I've had, what would be considered like pretty exponential growth on my page. And um, I, I did not. So originally I started a second page for a business I was doing um, called accountability coaching. And that was more of a fitness based concept. And uh, the idea behind um, my original business was to create a network of people who wouldn't necessarily train people, but would hold them accountable to their fitness goals, accompany them to the gym. Maybe, you know, it can be scary to go to um, a gym, you know, a class you've never been to before and like, you don't want to yeah. be the only beginner you know like me and yoga yeah. are not friends because <laughs> like I just I feel like the stupidest person in the room I'm sure I, like, I'm a Pilates girl I know but I'm, I've <laughs> anatomically not all yoga positions work for me <laughs> um I, yeah, having to shout out my butt's too big in the middle of a class is kind of embarrassing. They were like, get your back flat on the floor. Get your, and he kept correcting me. And finally, I go, my butt's too big. <laughs> and she looked and she goes, oh, it is. And I'm like, oh, my God. great. Nothing like having that. Yes, it's your butt. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, it's not my back. But I, <laughs> I would use, I was a gymnast growing up. I'm flexible. <laughs> um, but what happened was, as so, um, I I've been in marketing for twelve years. Okay. And I um yeah, and prior to um, me choosing recovery, was um I actually had my own marketing business, but it was event marketing and uh, providing promotional models and things for events. And obviously these were very boozy events and, you know, the, the, a lot of drinks, a lot of schmoozing, a lot of like having to be, you know, put yourself out there because, you know, people are hiring you to put together a party, so you kind of have to be the party. And it, in my sobriety, I realized that 
yes, I always did well in those positions and I built great marketing teams and I had wonderful ideas. But um, I was often around people that I was uncomfortable with. And being someone who suffers from CPTSD, which is complex uh, post-traumatic disorder, uh, and it's PTSD Awareness Month, if you didn't know. Um, Yeah, (laughs) which I won't lie, it's been slightly triggering seeing so many PTSD posts but I do realize how important they are to the community so that, you know, people like me don't feel alone or people who have similar issues can connect with people. And um, anyway, I realized um, in my sobriety that a lot of my drinking was me just trying to be comfortable in these positions. Yeah, because a lot of times for like a lot of people too, whether it's with marketing or, or their jobs, but I feel like I hear that a lot in sobriety is people just trying to feel comfortable with like, and especially in the sense, right? I imagine that was like of utmost importance to feel like you could do your job. And I've always felt like my jobs chose me. Like mm-hmm. I never really got to choose my jobs, you know. They and it my whole career, and like I feel so like adulting that I have a career now. But it took me a long time to realize that I was a career marketer. Um, <laughs> I mean, um, but what would happen a lot of times is that I, I, you know, I am a, oh gosh, a four-time rape survivor. Um, oh my God. And statistically, if you've been raped once, you'll probably be raped again, which is a really sad statistic. Um, And so, um, you know, I walked around for years and years with uh, just basically undiagnosed PTSD. And what, and um, I read this really great post the other day that was talking about People don't always know what a panic attack looks like. People think a panic attack is falling on the ground or freaking out or running out of a room. And it's this very dramatic experience. It's actually not. And I had a good friend of mine who um, she was also raped. And she could tell just by the look on my face that I was in the middle of a panic attack. And would she go? would get me out of places. What it, what it, would I would like do. A, a freeze state where like you would kind of shut down? Yeah. Like, like it's like you just shut down. Like yeah. I would just like shut down. And uh, one of the things in Manhattan is that all of our bars are like row houses. They're like, <laughs> they're just, if you're in the back it can feel like four miles to the door. You know what I'm saying? And then when you're in a panic attack, you're just frozen. And it's like, you don't want anybody touching you. You want to make it to that door. But in your head, you're like, I can't make it to that door. Like, how am I going to, like, there's so much going on in your mind and you're just trying to look normal. And that often would be when I would like grab my beer and just down it. 
Yeah. Or if somebody oh, put yeah. a shot in front of me, I would do my shot. And then it would be like, you know, kind of like, okay, this is how I'm going to deal with it. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah. And it's in, to me, my panic attacks are, I, I just like, I freeze it up and I, I just feel like I'm going to jump out of my body, yeah. but you can't jump out of your body. You know, yeah, and, right. <laughs> like, it would have been really convenient and saved me a lot of drunken nights, but uh, no. Anyway, um, so I was trying to do the business that was uh, the accountability coaching. The part I realized about that is because it was a new concept, there was a lot of consumer education that needed to be done, and most of the clients that were reaching out were older men who thought I provided a massage at the end. Oh, God. That's, like, not the clients you're looking for. And I was like, no, I was looking for women, <laughs> like, postpartum yeah. or, you know, women who haven't gone to the gym in five years, you know? Like, sorry, dude. <laughs> like, Did you? Were you starting that business like um, after you got sober or that was something you were working on like while you were still like kind of drinking and dealing with the PTSD? No, um, no. What was this, the I came up with that business. I came up with that business um, right when I'm right after I got sober okay. because okay. I knew I needed to make a shift from what I was doing. Because my boyfriend was supporting me because he, it, like, he knew I, I couldn't take the jobs I had been taking. Like, yeah. I just couldn't. And, uh, but, you know, I, and he, we since broke up, but he probably was supporting me forever, but I, I wanted to make my own money. Sure. So, Especially uh, sober, and, when you're feeling, like, more independent and good, like, once you kind of hit your groove with it a little bit, I feel like a lot of us are I, uh, looking for more. That, do, you know? Uh, on that note, um, I think that was part of the detriment of our relationship was all of a sudden I had a new confidence and a new trajectory in life and he started to become very very insecure did you guys address that at all just because I'm not going through the same thing in my relationship right now but I'm definitely like on this I feel like my trajectory is going like really well and I'm really excited about everything and it's that's definitely shifted like the past few years since I'm sober so my partner and I like talk about it so and you know we go to therapy and talk about it there and I feel like we're, we're pretty good and grounded but I'm I'm lately have been dealing a little bit with that dynamic. Um, so I'm just wondering like, yeah, he was, he was there when I was drinking and then when I was trying to get sober, if I wanted to drink, he would let me drink. Like he never said no to it, you know? And then, um, and I did get sober and he did everything to support me. Um, you know, I got flowers on my sober date every month. I got, you know, since we weren't spending money on my egregious drinking habit, it was like there were gifts and things like that. And he was really doing what he thought to support me. But at the same time, I started to feel very smothered. 
Yeah. And it was like, it, it started to become smothering. And then uh, the breaking point for me was someone invested $4,000 in my business and he accused me of sleeping with a person. And it was like, if you think so little of my business acumen, you think the only way I could get $4,000 is by sleeping with someone, then we aren't meant for each other. No, that's a heavy accusation. Yeah. And he, yeah, oh, oh, and he started going through my phone and stuff. Uh, I stopped her behavior. Nope. And I was like, ugh. No, that gets crazy. uh, (laughs) Did you see that Netflix show, You? Did you watch that? That terrified me. Which one? It's called You. It's like a psychological thriller. It's about the stalker guy. But I have to watch it. You would be, it's, like yeah, you would like it. It's really well done, but it is terrifying. But it might remind yeah. you of your ex. Do you know what, what was really terrifying? Movies that are kind of about people drinking and recovery and stuff was Girl on, a, Girl on the Train. I, I, had, I was in an abusive relationship. Not this the guy I'm talking about now, but previously I was in a narcissistic, uh, you know, with a malignant narcissist. Actually, he was a narcopath. But anyway, um, girl on the train, like, I don't, it's like, I don't want to give the movie away, but the book and the movie have been out forever. But there's this one scene in the movie where, um, She's apologizing to this woman on the train saying, I'm sorry for how I behaved at your party. And the woman goes, what? You didn't do anything. Everybody had a bit too much to drink. You went and laid down. She goes, and then it plays back what her husband told her she did. Oh. And he used it as an excuse to beat her up. Oh my God, that's so sick. And he kept using, and in the movie, she starts realizing that he liked her blackout drunk because he could control her and say, You did this. My ex used, my abusive ex used to do that to me. He would drag me to therapy, telling the therapist that he wanted me to quit drinking, but then he would dump drinks down my throat. And then I would wake up like Bruce and stuff, and it would be like, oh, you were out of control last night or something. And you're like, what? That's so awful. And and I have learned through my conversations with other people and exploring my own past that so many, um, so many women end up with partners or people in their lives that actually use their addiction to control them. And that's where you run into that thing where it's like, I've just been thinking a lot on it lately. Just that concept of breaking that chain of control and like reclaiming your power. And sometimes now that I I feel like I have my power back and I have boundaries for the first time in my life and I say no. And no is a big part of my vocabulary. And I'm seeing how people truly respond to boundaries. It's very eye-opening to me. 
It is. It is. And I think it helps to reinforce like why you have them and, and it reinforces like how to continue to use them is like what I've noticed um, with just yeah. better boundaries. And, and, and if people yeah. have no boundaries, they really kind of freak out and don't know what to do when you have them. But other people with good boundaries, they respond to it. They, they get it. Um, and I think it's, can give you kind of clues as to who to let into your social circle and who to let into your life. Yeah, and it can feel it can feel some way like when you're first getting your footing and getting boundaries and stuff, it can start to feel lonely. And I always warn people who are getting it sober that there will be a lull and there will be a period of time where you're looking for your people. But if you make your old friends overnight, you're not going to make sober friends overnight. No, but I have a, I have a pair of friends I love dearly, but I cannot stand their social circle. Mm. They hang out with some of the most obnoxious people I've ever met in my life. It's so not worth it. What I do, what I do, is I always make sure I'm the first to show up to the party. So that I get to see my friends, and then once the people who kind of make me uncomfortable show up, I can go. <laughs> yeah, and it's probably there's drinking at the party. It's generally better to kind of get in and get out before it starts getting just right. Right, but even then, I've been I've stayed past. Usually, I don't stay past when everyone's had more than two drinks. Right, but. There's been a couple times I've stayed past then, and everyone's just so annoying to me that I'm yeah. I gotta go. I'm out. People will start repeating themselves, and I mean, and God love them. I can only imagine. Like I cringe when I think about like how obnoxious and annoying. I'm sure I know I was. I know like just awful thinking I was hilarious or cute or whatever. And I'm like that behavior is just not. It's just not fun to be around it's not like worth my time and so I feel like it now like I would just so much rather do a million other things than yeah it, it, it is a bit of immersion therapy and somebody um talked about I um, that I so for a side hustle I know you'd asked me about my no buy year yeah um, I'd love to hear so more can you explain what that is for if people don't know? Yeah. So a no buy year is where you don't buy anything new for a year unless I'm, um, and people have different ways that they do it. Some people do it like only cosmetics, you know, those people that like hoard cosmetics or something. Mm-hmm. But then there's other people that do it, uh, you know, you know, kind of strict rules, um, no eating out, no new clothes, nothing unless like completely necessary. My, and I, one of my rules is before I buy something new, I have to look and see if I can buy it used or like at a thrift shop or something. So we had like three plates break. I, my son loves to go to Goodwill. So I I was like, while you're at Goodwill, can you just see if there's three plates? So you need to get three plates for like 25 cents a piece. So cheap. 
Yeah, instead of me being like, oh, the whole set's ruined and dropping like $50, I spent 75 cents. The other thing that I've kind of started to do is um, I make some of my own like home beauty products. Like I make uh, my son's uh, clear cell pads, like the toner pads and stuff. I have this stuff to make my own shampoo. I make my own candles because um I was spending a lot of money on candles. <laughs> I know I got a Marshall for they have a lot of money on candles. <laughs> yeah, I use a lot of candles too. But I buy the cheap ones. I live two blocks from a TJ Maxx. So <laughs> yeah, you're probably in there daily. Like, wait, I need this pineapple one. That's what I do. Uh. Yeah, my brother's like, this is ridiculous. Like, you have a like, $200 a week candle habit. I'm like, yeah. I actually went at one point and just bought them in bulk. I bought like 250 candles. It's kind of, I mean, in a way, saving, you know, it's it's better than well, one. Since I have a business license, since right. I have a business license, I can buy a lot of things in bulk that other oh, people can't. Fine. But uh, but the no buy year, the point of the no buy year is to uh, part of it's decluttering, part of it's learning to live on less, part of it is making a dent in debt. Um, you know, it's kind of how people like you know. I fast. I do intermittent fasting, and I'll do twenty four to seventy two hour fast. Sometimes to like reset my metabolism, mm-hmm. it's kind of a financial fast. I like that. And it's like take a year out of your life. And like one of the first things you do in a no buy year is you inventory everything you have. Get this. I have one mirror in my house. I had four bottles of Windex, one of which was <laughs> industrial size. <laughs> Why? Well, you know, I had like four things of Febreze. I think I had um, six uh, value-sized pine salts. And, wow. oh, bars of soap. I don't know. Apparently, I thought they were going to stop making soap at some <laughs> point. Um, were you a hoarder? Like a hoarder of like a cleaning box? I think so. For someone who barely cleans, I had a lot of cleaning products. Like, it was in a really small apartment. I mean, like, I can't clean that much. There's not that much to clean. Anyway, so you <laughs> I was saying, and so one of the one of the concepts is that um, once you run out of something, you look for an alternative. For that particular product, like so it's also product. a way, yeah, um, or like a DIY. Like when we ran out of Noxzema pads, I looked up how to make your own, and it all it is is alcohol-free witch hazel and some like uh, essential oil drops. They're like the easiest thing on earth to make. That's awesome. What do you? So I made a month's worth for like seventy-five cents. Do you just use like gauze pads? What do you use for the actual? You know those um, cotton rounds that you buy in the tube, and then you just oh, yeah. put them in a little four ounce mason jar. Okay. 
And it's really easy to make your own sea salt scrubs and Definitely. stuff like that. And, you know, I just kind of looked, but uh, the one place I'm just terrible at is like takeout. I don't know. I just, I get so overwhelmed sometimes I get takeout. But part of that is uh, just managing my schedule and two very different schedules with my kids. Have you, um, I don't know if meal this, plan. yeah, I don't know if that's any right. or like the Hello Fresh or any of those. I don't know if those are really any cheaper than like takeout. I know like buying groceries, buying fresh vegetables and like bulk stuff is the cheapest way to go. But it's, it's, it's tough to cook that way every single night when you're a busy person with a life. Well, the thing, the thing is, I, uh, I, um, I don't have much of an excuse not to make my own food because I live across the street from a health, like uh, a wellness grocery store and a grocery grocery store and a farmer's market. Oh, so yeah. my, my convenience excuse isn't good. Um, <laughs> but um, the no buy year, it's kind of like, you know, there's some clothes, like I was going through my clothes, and I'm like, that has a hole in it that I can't wear, that I'll never wear. And then hopefully by the end of the year, I'll kind of whittle my clothes down. Like, I may not be the most fashionable person this summer, but whatever. <laughs> like, I'm growing a business. And yeah, exactly. We're doing a clothes swap at one of my favorite, like, women's groups next <sighs> next week because I have these jeans that I know they were tight when I bought them and I was like they're they're just these just don't fit so I was like let's do this yeah off. it's one of my favorite ways to like get clothes that are new to me and pass stuff on so I'm hoping I come away with them a couple of new things. yeah well I mean I uh I had a girlfriend who used to just randomly bring over dresses and then I had a um or still have a girlfriend who lives upstairs she has a teenage daughter that's like my skinny size and I just was going through dresses and I had like, you know, I ended up giving her one of my dresses for a formal. I, it was like a part, I wore it on my 30th birthday. It was a party dress. I was never going to wear it again. I'm like, there you go. <laughs> like, so nice and probably made her too and it's out of your closet. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm not shy. I let it be known at my kids' school. Like, hey, if you got any hand-me-downs, I'll take them. Like, mm -hmm. no shame in my game. My kids go to a rich kids' school. They got some nice hand-me-downs. <laughs> yes, I know. I live in a kind of rich neighborhood. I'm oh, always out for the yard. I'm like, what do you got? <laughs> my oldest son kept coming home with all these, like, really nice hoodies and, like, really nice sweatpants and stuff. Wow. And I'm like, and, uh, I stole some of it. It was really nice. And uh, he told me he's been getting stuff out of the lost and found bin at school. And he goes, Mom, he goes to a school that has like 8,000 kids. He's like, he shows me this one hoodie. I'm like, that's really nice. And I look and it's like Abercrombie. And uh, he goes, Mom, these rich kids like lose stuff and don't care. And I'm like, they don't even go back for it. <laughs> I'm like, you can do that. But um but the no by year is kind of like um 
you know, I just felt like financially I needed to hit reset because, you know, being like newly single, starting a business, um, you know, I, and I do firmly believe that that first year of sobriety, you're very like, yes, life, I'm gonna live it, and you take some trips, and you buy some stuff, and like, I was like buying myself, like, oh, it's my six months, so I get two watches, and you know, <laughs> I deserve that bikini, and um, Oh. You know, and, and and it's great to celebrate yourself like that. And I encourage people do whatever, do whatever is going to get you motivated for the next. Yeah. You know, it. like the next step. But then I feel like you hit this like when you're in the midst of like year two. Like I'm 17 months sober now, and you're in the midst of year two, and you're really looking at your life. And you're, um, and that second year when it's really kind of like, you know what, either I'm sticking with this forever or I'm done. Like you kind of have that feeling like it's kind of like, okay, is this like the life I want? And how does And this is the life I want. Yeah. And people do sobriety in so many different ways in so many wonderful ways. And that's why I really like created the podcast the way that it was. I'm like, this isn't a recovery podcast. I I don't want to be someone's recovery coach. Like get your program. Of course I'll support anyone in that. Um, But then it's like, well, next, you know, like what now? Now like great. Like my sobriety is going well. I feel, you know, I feel good. I have my support system in place, but like, what about the rest of my life? Like, are there, you yeah, know, I can help well, you that, was the thing. that was part of the no buy years. It's like, mm-hmm. you know what, my, like uh-huh. kind of hit me. You know, I had my kids very young and my oldest goes to college when I turn 40. Wow. And I'm going to have a whole second life, you know, and uh, I don't plan on having any more children. I mean, I spent, I've been a mother since I was 18 years old. Like, I'm going to take a break. (laughs) And uh, and I'm like, you know, I'd like to buy a little, like, buy a place somewhere. Like, that'd be nice. And then I realized, you silly drunk girl, you have no savings. And uh, so that was part of, like, the no-buy year was to you know, make a dent in my student loans and start investing a little bit so that here in five years, I can fulfill that dream. So that first year is very much like getting settled in, recovering, and then you hit the second year. And like you said, you got everything in place. And it's like, what now? Yeah. And um, what's going to help me achieve it? Like what other systems do I need in place? Right, right. And I, um, so, the, so back to my business, the way my business kind of morphed though from, uh, from a, you know, the accountability coaching and fitness space thing was, I mean, I was following all these great sober accounts and like KMF Klein, oh my God, lover death, one of my like best friends in the whole wide world, uh, Resurrection of Me, Slayer for Breakfast, uh, like all of those women just like showed me that, that there was this wonderful life inside of sobriety because I spent a, 
a period where I was actually scared to tell anybody because I was scared it wasn't going to stick. Yeah. Because I was like, and it wasn't that I was scared it wasn't going to stick because I couldn't make it stick. I didn't think that I could financially thrive. I didn't think that uh, socially I could thrive. I didn't think, you know, I would still be fun, cool, or sexy. And um, I've noticed, it's funny, like, I love my body. I had my booties all over my page. I don't care. (laughs) I saw one yesterday where you're, like, covered in paint. I was like, yes! There's actually a story behind that. So what happened was I decided accountability coaching was just there. It was not going to be what I wanted it to be. And I was, there was just too much consumer education needed. Okay. Uh, so, um, you know, I'm starting to follow all these recovery pages and I'm like, you know, I started announcing my day counts and stuff and, you know, I'm like, you know, and it's just such a welcoming, great community. And I just start telling my story. And like, I never set out to have 10,000 followers. That was never a goal of mine. I just really wanted to get my story out there. And, um, the catalyst for me even making a shirt that said sober mom on it was, you know, there's all the posts about, you know, the mommy wine culture and it is bullshit. It is bullshit. And from a marketing perspective, they took alcohol that had poor sales and rebranded it as mommy juice. Mm-hmm. You're buying into a marketing concept. It's the same way Virginia Slims said it's our time. Mm-hmm. It is exactly. It's the exact same marketing concept. Like, yeah, and they don't care. They're like selling you poison. I mean, I have no no issue with anyone who drinks at all. Like, I don't. You, you do you. You do what's right for you. But. Yeah, I don't care if people drink, but what people don't realize, too, is that, you know, I just feel like all these, like, women's drinking circles are, you always have the one girl in the group that can't handle her liquor, everybody kind of knows she has a problem, but she's kind of too fun. Yeah. You know, and it's and they and they need somebody to project their own drama on. So it's like she's just the drunk and you know, like she becomes the butt of the jokes and it's kind of like, who is they gonna make fun of if she gets better, you know? And, and do they really wanna quit drinking to support her, but they'll talk about her behind her back? Like That's a sad state of affairs. I mean that's it is. <laughs> So I'm like, I don't think I ever had friends like quite that bad. I was definitely the party. Yeah. Well, but I think she's such a mess. She can't keep a boyfriend. She's <laughs> always drunk. And you're like, but then you go and buy her drinks. I had a friend whom I'm no longer friends with, and I thought she was going to be like BFF forever. 
she went on family trips with us. My kids called her aunt. But um, she went off on me one night and said that I was irresponsible and I needed to be home with my children. And I was just like, bitch, you bought the shots? Yeah, exactly. Like, why are you judging me? Like, in the night, maybe say something before I go out, like when we're both sober. Or maybe, or maybe suggest coming over to my house and just watching a movie with me. I have to go out to hang out with you. Did you think about supporting me that way? But no, that would have cut into her drinking time. And then I remember another time it was me, her, and a girl that I I didn't know very well. And I was a mess. And she told the girl that barely knew me to get me home. And the girl that barely knew me looked at her and goes, wait, she's your best friend. Yeah, that seems odd. And she just ran back in. And then I remember once I had a my falling out with the other girl because I was like, why are you judging me when you're the one that's going out with me? The girl I barely knew, she goes, I'm so glad you got rid of her. I'm like, what are you talking about? She got, and she told me what happened that night. She goes, I, that wasn't a best friend in my opinion. And I'm like, you're so right. You're yeah. so right. Not any <laughs> You know, and if it's that she doesn't want to deal with that being a repetitive behavior, then it's time to like sit down and talk to you when you're not drinking about it and be like, hey, this keeps happening. Because I had a friend do that with me, but she's like, I can't go out with you anymore because you're obnoxious, you're drunk, you're in the street, you fight with me. And I was like, okay, that's fair. I get it. But it's like she was a friend in that she actually sat down and like tell me that it bothered her, not just like walk away and abandon me randomly. That's awful. Yeah. You know, like, it is. But it's just, but the thing is, um, the friends I meet in sober community are so great, but the uh, sober mom shirts kind of just came about because um, I went on Poshmark and I searched sober mom, or no, I didn't search sober mom. I searched the word sober to see if there was any clothing on Poshmark. geared towards sober people Mm -hmm. the first shirt that came up said sober people scare me oh wow and uh there was another one that was like not sober anymore like there was not a single positive sober shirt and i was so disgusted i just looked for a shirt manufacturer picked out uh, found a designer, uh, fellow sober mom, found a, found a graphic designer and made the shirts and put them on Poshmark for the sole okay. purpose of not really for it to be some big money maker, but for the sole purpose of that if another woman gets on Poshmark and searches for a sober shirt, she'll find one. She'll find a positive one. Yeah, they're nice too. I see you've got a couple different designs, um, and it's like very simple. But I have the long shirt, the long sleeve one. It's really I like that one. The pink sells really well. The gray one, um, I I don't know. I, I just can't get a great photograph of it, but it's mm. really my favorite. <laughs> but um, 
If you need a different model with different like um, skin tone. Yeah, shoot me your address. I got you hooked up. I got about 15 I got to ship out right now. I gave away a bunch. So I gave cool. away a bunch for Mother's Day. At this point, um, I just really, I just love seeing women wearing them. And I had one woman send me a message. I believe she was in Belgium. And she was like, would you ship to Belgium? And I'm like, yeah, I mean... Like, if you'll pay for it or whatever, like, I don't care. And uh, she told me, she's like, I've been sober a year and I've been too embarrassed to tell anybody. And she goes, I think this would be the perfect way. And I was like, oh, my gosh, with your coming out shirt. That is so cool that you can, like, you're connecting and letting people, like, giving them a, a place where they can share their sobriety with your clothing. It's amazing. People- yeah, like, for it just to be, like, and you know, when I wear mine, a lot of times people are just like, oh, that's really cute. And then they'll mm-hmm. be like, oh, sober. Oh, you're sober? I'll be like, yeah, 17 months. They're like, oh, good work. Because yeah. the, thing, and the reason, um, you know, I started being very vocal on Instagram about being a sober mom because the stigma of women who women who reach out and try to get help the stigma stops so many women and there are women die at higher rates than men from alcohol consumption they do and they actually, they do. It affects us differently than it does men. So I have been drinking, and it's also it's linked to it's linked to breast cancer. It's like mental health issues and stuff. But I mean, there's a really great documentary called I believe it's I Am Betty or I Am Bet. Um, and this woman chronicles her mother's drinking and how it really eventually killed her and one of the things is uh that i was never aware of is especially as you get older you'll start to develop uh get lung infections and pneumonia more because you aspirate like you pass Uh out and you aspirate and you end up you know but that doesn't mean you necessarily will like choke to death but you'll be introducing the mo- water into your lungs mm-hmm. and that especially aware uh, that just you're then more likely to, to get pneumonia again and again and again you start damaging whatever viable lung tissue you have and then it leads to like all of these other problems i work with a lot of um older right so the, yeah, the point of the woman's the woman's do- this documentary i feel like every woman that quitting drinking should watch this documentary is that she goes kind of year by year on her mother's decline but she does it in this beautiful way of showing how she was functioning like she was she was a nurse Mm. And she went to work all the time and then she was a single mom and a nurse and she just like all like so to everybody outside, it looks like it was fine, but her decline was so rapid, but it was because it was so hidden what she was doing. And so this whole sitting down and drinking two bottles of wine a night thing 
okay, yeah, maybe you can wake up and still function the next day. But what are you doing to your body physically? Nothing good. I'll tell you that I did. I mean, one of the things I love about sobriety is my weight stopped fluctuating. I know, me too. It's it's amazing. I used to have to have four sizes of pants because I had no idea how much I was going to weigh every day. Like how... it's, it's just insane. And I get, I think it's, a, it was obviously a stabilization of sugar levels and metabolism, but I also That's think it, it has to do with balancing out your hormones and stuff too. Yeah. I'm That's sure. my personal yeah. opinion. <laughs> and, and, um, yeah. And inflammation definitely. And yeah, I think your hormone levels regulate just like everything regulates so much more when your body's not constantly fighting off poison, which is what happens. Like, yeah. Well, and then there's the psychological part of it too. And one thing that I like now is when I say, when I say something, I know I mean it. Yeah, I don't second guess anything I say. I'm not sending an angry drunk text and then be like, "Oh, I shouldn't have said that." No, if I say it, I meant it. Yeah, and I'll have people be like, "You didn't mean that." I'm like, "Oh, I meant it. I'm sober." (laughs) I remember it, and I meant it, and I will say it again. Yeah, (laughs) and I, but it's you know, psychologically also. events that seem horrific don't seem that challenging anymore they suck and it sucks and they're a thing to get through but you're kind of like all right because you can do it you're used to it you're used to it at this point you know you've you've done the hard stuff and you know, that whole I can do hard things thing. You're kind of like, all right, it's just another thing we're going to deal with. Because, yeah. I, oh, I remember this one moment and it was like, I, it was in my first year and I had to go empty out my storage unit and it, I had put it off and put it off because I, the apartment I was raped in. I moved out of it and just threw everything in storage and going back to that storage unit was so hard for me. And so I'm sober going back to the storage unit and I passed the local dive bar. And I just remember I'm like, every time I tried to go empty this storage unit before I ended up stopping at the bar and never made it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I've lost the biggest excuse I ever had, which was like, oh, I already started drinking. Yeah, there goes the day. That's it. Anytime, it's like anytime somebody's like, could you do? I'm like, oh no, I mean, I like, I already had a few. Yeah, that was just. And like, and you feel so much busier at first. You kind of, I think everybody overloads their schedule in the first year, and then like the second year, you're like. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm mean, gonna nap more. Yeah, <laughs> more okay being alone. At least I, you know, I am like I'm less afraid that I'm gonna want to go like fall back into old behaviors. Like now I, you know, and who knows what it's like in the future. I don't want to ever sound like, well, I've got a handle. Like I'm like, 
but I, I have other things in place now, you know what I mean? Instead of like my, yeah. let's just go drink. Yeah. I quit, I quit obsessively working yeah. out and I'm kind of mad at myself for that. But <laughs> also two hours a day at the gym may that's have a been lot. a bit much. Yeah. That's <laughs> that makes you feel so good though. I love working out. Uh, it made me happy. But um, also too, with my no buy year and stuff and, you know, just like kind of start my business, I decided uh, to sign up to run Postmates, just oh, say, cool. to run around. And it's really easy in the city to be a walker. You just go pick up the food and take it to people's apartments. I mean, it's like not hard. And, um, but the thing was, I went out one Saturday night to deliver food and it was like, I passed so many bars, so okay. many drunk people, so delivered food to house parties and I was so exhausted and none of it looked like good to me. And a, and a friend of mine was like, you kind of just did your own immersion therapy. I'm like... Yeah, <laughs> I went home and slept like a baby, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's good to realize that you don't want it or don't crave it, and you're like, man, that's just not appealing. And yeah, you go to bed early and wake up and feel good. I I think for me, and I don't know if it's an acceptable school of thought or not. I'm still like, I don't know if it's just acceptable within my bubble. But um, I don't do AA, and most of it, that that's pretty much because of my PTSD. Like mm -hmm. I cannot be in a room full of strangers being triggered twenty times in an hour. Like it can't happen. I no, when really I tried AA, know. I left and drank. So and I heard that person. <laughs> I, yeah, for sure. I, I hear that from so many women. They're like, I left and I drank. And I think it's because a lot of women are in my position where their issues are more trauma-based than the actual craving of the alcohol. And the times that I think about a drink or having a drink are normally if I'm stressed or triggered. Yeah. But they're not a craving. They're, I recognize that they're uh, just a wanting to escape. Yeah. And uh, like earlier today, I got to thinking about some like, you know, I, I don't speak to my mom. She's a crazy narcissist. Uh, she's a horrible person, like completely ruined my life. But like, I'm fixing it. Like she didn't do as much damage as she thinks she did. But um, I don't know, me doing good makes her mad. So I'm just gonna keep doing good. And um, yeah. Anyway, I I was thinking about something like mom, it kind of triggered me and then like the kids are away and I'm like a little part of me was like, oh, it'd just be nice to go to the St. Regis and have an old fashioned right now. And I realized it wasn't that I wanted the old fashioned. I wanted to go sit in a nice place with like the perfect air conditioning and beautiful napkins and mm -hmm. like yeah, you know, I just wanted to be somewhere else. Yeah. So I don't call that to me it in my recovery, 
I guess some would call that a craving, but I wasn't craving the drink itself. I was craving that atmosphere. Yeah, I think those are very different. I think like an actual craving for a substance is different than what you're describing. Because um, it is, we, we sort of romanticize it with with atmospheres like that. Like on a boat, you know, where you're like, oh, well, how could I ever be on a boat? Without yeah, I'm on a boat! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need my margaritas or whatever it is. Like I've definitely had that too where I'm like, well, okay, then do I really want the drink? And it's like, no, it never is. I think that's different. But then I... I- I actually sat there and I visualized myself going to the bar and just ordering a Coke. And I was like, I could do that. And then I realized I'd have to take a shower and change clothes. And I was like, man, that's too much work. Yeah, I was like, that was a really cute thought there for a moment, but I really just don't feel like taking a shower right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe tomorrow. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see if the fantasy comes up. Well, Martha, uh, thank like, you so much for talking with me. Is there any, thing, it's because I want to um, wrap up because I really desperately need to go get dinner. Um, oh, sorry. No, no, oh, no, no. Well, I just wanted to say, um, but with my page and with Recover Out Loud, um, you know, a lot of people have asked me about how I got the growth that I got and I got the followers that I got and um, just from, you know, a seasoned marketer. All I can really say is con- make your own content. Mm-hmm. Um, be real, be honest. Um, you're not going to hit 10,000 followers if you're still in people's memes all the time. I hate to tell you, it's just not going to work if that's your goal. <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. but I, but like I said, I do a morning live every day. I engage with my followers. Um, oh, recover out loud is not a money maker for me. It's a passion project, and um, I'm very fortunate that people like you allow me on their shows to, you know, speak my truth. I love um, being able to promote um, other people's, you know, other people's brands and things. And, uh, you know, uh, Jen Elizabeth's book, Shape of a Woman, Everybody should read it. Every woman woman that ever experienced trauma should read that book. That's good to know. Uh, um, it's uh, it's she's an inspiration. But uh, as far as you know, creating a business and stuff, I mean, it's not easy. It's it's not easy. Um, definitely, if you're in the recovery realm and you're thinking you're going to make a make a lot of money it's not going to happen. So you better be passionate about it. <laughs> like you I mean, better really for, love it. For I think anything you go after, because starting a business and, and I mean, I've been working with my business for a year and it's, I mean, it's just, it's, you're playing the long game, you know, it's, you're not always going to, yeah. sometimes you will, but you got to Like there's a level of just dedication and heart. But if you're not passionate about it, I agree with you. You're just, it's not, you're not going to be able to sustain it. It's a, and, and why go through, why go through building a following of people who truly need you and need inspiration only to drop them a year later? 
that I feel is unfair to the community. And I guard the community like I would guard a best friend. Like, don't say anything about my sober community. Like, I'll come at you like a bulldog. But what, uh, so to kind of wrap things up, what you're saying about the body painting, Recover Out Loud, we kind of morphed a little bit from, you know, the, the shirts that I have to, I started to throw events. And my first event I threw in Phoenix with um, all my sober pals on the West Coast. And um, I was body painted live in front of everyone. And it was actually kind of an art installation. And I gave a talk before that um, a year prior, I had almost taken my life while drunk. That was how I chose sobriety. I woke up and I had a drunken suicide attempt. I woke up and I was like, my life has to change. Mm-hmm. And, and there I was surrounded by sober friends at a sober party. And, you know, and I just decided to bear it all. And I'm, you know, it was just like, I'm a blank canvas now. Like, this is my new life. And that was the, that was the point of the body painting. It came out really cool. My butt looked really great. But there was a point behind it. (laughs) I mean, I think that's really glad you shared that. Um. (laughs) Yeah, so no, so everybody can stop thinking I just run around getting myself body painted for no reason. (laughs) So it was really fun. I think that's awesome. That's great. You do events too. If you um, come back to the West Coast, let me know. I could definitely rally up some people for you. Um, oh, nice. Um, yeah, I think um, we're going to try to do. Um, uh, I have a plan. It's kind of like more if it can work out financially, but I kind of want to do a little West Coast tour and cool. just do uh, meetups and coffee shops because I really, I just love meeting my followers i love it and if anybody's coming to new york hit me up we'll grab a coffee i've met so many of my followers on their vacations to new york i just think it's like just like hi (laughs) i feel like i already know you where can people find you if they don't know like um where can people oh it's at at recover out loud llc and that's your Instagram. That's my Instagram. And then the, my blog is recoveroutloudonline.com. Awesome. Definitely worth a read, too. I was reading some of your blog posts earlier today and prep for Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah. I've been struggling with blog ideas in my second year. Like, it was like in my first year, it was like an idea a day. And now I'm just kind of living my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, even that's a topic, really, because it happens. It's like, what happens on the internet? Yeah, now I'm just a sober person. I'll let you get to dinner. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your story. It's really great to just chat with you and and to learn more about you, because I'm one of your followers, and I love what you're putting out there. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, (laughs) I'll see you on the internet. Awesome. See you there. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye.